Hey, happy Easter. Sold me. Hey, because uh, here's what I've discovered. The worst jokes, the worst holiday jokes are Easter jokes. I mean, does anyone know a good Easter joke? They are cheesy, like through the roof. Anybody heard one of these cheesy Easter jokes so far this year that you remember well enough and could be repeated in church? Any, anybody at all? Okay, okay, so I think we've got some. Raise your hand if you've heard one and you're willing to share it with the rest of us. Raise your hand. Okay, we got one right here. Okay, so we got, I guess, here we go. Okay, so cheesy Easter jokes, you're like four. No. All right, so, all right, cheesy Easter, here we go. In bunny language, how do you say happy Easter? How do you say happy Easter in bunny language? Happy Easter. Ah. There you go. Would have never guessed. Okay, who else? Who else has got like just told the cheesy? All right, here we go. Told the cheesy Easter joke. How do you trap a unique Easter bunny? How do you trap a unique Easter bunny? Unique up on him. Okay, so you get the gist. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do, okay? This is, this is for all the guys in the room, okay? I am going to make you the man at lunch today. So while you're sitting at Easter lunch with your family, you break this one out and you will be the man, okay? So here it goes. There's this guy, he's, he's driving down the road, and he's not paying a whole lot of attention, and uh, suddenly a rabbit goes running out in front of him, and he swerves, boom, and uh, he pulls over the car and gets out, and sure enough, uh, he's hit the rabbit, and uh, it's busted up, and pretty soon he realizes he's killed the rabbit, and as he's sitting there on the side of the road trying to figure out, you know, what do you do next, he looks over to realize there's an Easter basket and Easter eggs, and now he's uh, really despondent. In the meantime, a gal driving down the road pulls over and says, hey, uh, is there anything I can do to help? And the guy goes, I think I just killed the Easter bunny. She takes uh, one look and says, you know what, I think I can help with this, goes running back to her car comes back with an aerosol can, begins to spray all over the Easter bunny. And uh, sure enough, uh, the Easter bunny comes back to life, hops up, grabs his basket, takes off down the road. The guy says, what in the world is in that can? And she holds it up and says, hairspray restores dead hair to life. <laughs> you do that one at lunch today, and you will be the man, okay? So here's the deal. <laughs> Let's just, this is beyond. We've all heard the Easter story like what? A thousand times. Matter of fact, there are some of us in this room today, the only time you come to church is at Easter, and you're pretty sure this is the only story in the Bible. <laughs> so here's what I thought maybe we'd do. I, what if we look at Easter a little different? What if we took a different slant at this story than maybe uh, we'd ever taken it before? And, what if we just kind of looked at it through uh, the eyes of somebody who was there? So I just thought, what, what if we look at Easter through the eyes of Peter, uh, the disciple? Because here's the cool thing about Peter. Peter, if there was ever a guy who experienced Easter, Peter totally experiences Easter. And maybe more importantly for us, if there was ever a guy who needed Easter, Peter needs Easter. Easter in his life. 
And what he experiences and what happens in the life of Peter just may have the capacity to change your and my experience with Easter. So here we go. Grab your Bibles if you happen to bring them uh, this morning. We're going to go to the book of Luke, and we're going to dive into this story of Easter through the eyes of a guy by the name of Peter. So it's Luke chapter uh, 22. Starting in verse 54, if you're not real familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible, you work to the left, you're going to find this book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Now, here's what you need to know. We're backing the story up a little bit. This isn't Sunday. This is Friday. And it's at the time when the arrest of Jesus is taking uh, place. And what you need to know is Peter is in. Peter is totally sold out. 100% bought into Jesus. He's been there for the majority of the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. He's drinking the Kool-Aid. He's in. Matter of fact, some of you that know the story know that just a few hours before this, as they came to arrest Jesus, Peter is the guy who grabs a sword and is lopping people's ears off. Peter's saying, look, I will die for this dude because I am in which makes what you and I are about to read, the denial of Peter, all the more surprising. What happened to the dude who was in? So here we go. It's Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 54. Here's his story. It says, then seizing him, talking about Jesus, they're arresting him. They led him away and they took him into a house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. So get the moment. Here's the deal. They've taken Jesus off, and they're holding kind of a kangaroo court. Notice it's not in the daytime. It's not even in a real courtroom. They've taken him to the house of the high priest Caiaphas, and they're holding court in the middle of the night. And people have followed, and what they've done is they're sitting kind of on the front porch. They're sitting in a courtyard on the front side of the house. And you got to remember, no air conditioning, so the windows are all open, and the people sitting in the courtyard are able to eavesdrop in and hear the trial of Jesus. And Peter is there. Verse 56, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little while later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Look, dude, you're you're from the same area. I mean, you've got the same accent as Jesus. Surely you're part of the group. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Okay. So here's the question. Here's the deal. What happened to the guy that was in? What changed for him? Why is the guy who was suddenly in now finding himself on Friday and he's out? He's rejecting. He says, no way, I want no part of this. And here's the answer. You ready? Jesus isn't doing what Peter wants Jesus to do. 
See, Peter is in a moment in his life when he says, look, here's the deal, Jesus. If I were you, I wouldn't be doing what you're doing. If I were God, I wouldn't do it this way. And here's my answer. If, if you're going to do it this way, then I'm done. I'm out. If, if God's not going to behave the way that I would behave if I were God, then no. No. And, and here's what's happening in this moment. See, Peter's got a plan, and Peter is really looking for a political Messiah. The plan is, hey, Jesus is just going to get so popular that we're going to make him king, and then we'll lead a revolt against Rome with Jesus at the head. And so Peter's plan goes something like this. Uh, look, uh, we're going to do test groups. We're going to get people together and just go, all right, so how, how are you doing with the whole robe thing, or should we go a little more diesel gene? You know, what do you think? on the deal. And, and uh, how's the beard working for you? And then uh, out of that, we're going to start uh, Jesus clubs in every town. And we're going to be like little Jesus merit badges that people can wear. What would Jesus do? You know, we're going to do that. And then um, uh, we're going to start, and we're going to have rallies every year, and, and the membership is going to swell. And finally, when we get enough momentum, when enough people are buying in, here's the deal. We're just going to elect you king. So that's the plan, Jesus. That's how we're going to get this thing done. And in the middle of Peter's plan, in the middle of Peter saying, this is what I would do if I were God. Jesus injects a cross. And Jesus begins to say, look, here's the deal. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go die. And Peter goes, whoa, wait, wait. That's, that's just, that's stupid. There's no future, and that's, that's not even a real plan. That's, that, that has, that's just an ending. How do we get to where we're supposed to get if we, look, here's the deal. If I were God, I would never do that. And it is absolutely, get this, it is absolutely inconceivable to Peter that Jesus knows something that Peter doesn't know. And it is absolutely unfair. He can't even comprehend the idea that maybe Jesus sees something and knows something that he doesn't know. And his answer is simply this. Look, no. If you're not going to behave the way I would behave, if I were God, then my answer is, I'm out. I reject it all. I'm done. Isn't it interesting? The very thing that causes Peter to stumble, the very thing that he's going, no, if we're doing that, then I'm, I'm done, is the very thing that you and I need the most. That here's Jesus saying, Peter, here's what you're not catching in the moment. This world is filled with broken people who have made absolutely bad decisions, sinful decisions. And their only hope, their only answer is a Savior who dies on a cross to fix that on their behalf. Isn't it interesting that the very thing that Peter can't get to is the thing that you and I need the most? And so Peter, on Friday, rejects. It's a big deal for us because some of us in this room are living on Friday. 
See, some of us have said, hey, look, here's the deal. Uh, I think I've taken a look at God, and I think I've taken a look at organized religion, and I've seen what Christians look, and here's the deal. <laughs> if that's what it is, and, and if God's not going to behave the way that I would behave if I were God, count me out. Count me out. Because every one of us in our minds has a little bit of a plan of, of what we would do if you and I were God. And, and it goes something like this. Uh, everybody that I love, nothing bad should ever happen to them. I mean, if I love them, then only good things should happen in their life. And uh, if I were God, uh, I would get a promotion every year with a pay raise. I mean, if I were God, this is pretty simple, right? Oh, here's a good. If I were God, bad people would have bad things happen to them all the time. If I were God, that's, that's what I would do. The problem with our plan is, one day the doctor says, cancer. And you and I go, no, 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 no. If I were God, I would never say cancer. And, and God, if you're not going to behave the way that I would behave, if I were God, then I'm out. A good person, a person who never did anything wrong. Loses their job. And we go, God, wait, whoa, whoa, the totally unfair. No, no, God, you're not behaving. And, it, and if you're not going to do what I would do if I were you, then no. No. And here's the interesting part. It is absolutely inconceivable to us that God knows something that we don't know. That God has a plan that sees further than we can see. And he's accomplishing something that we never dreamed. It's inconceivable. So our answer is simply this. Look, no, God, if you're not going to behave the way that I would behave, if I were you, then no. And some of us in this room are stuck on Friday. And you can do that. You'd be wrong. And you'll never get where you're hoping to get. And your life will never be filled the way that you're hoping your life will be filled if you live it on Friday. Peter doesn't stay on Friday. Peter moves to Saturday. Let's go back to the passage it's verse 61. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. So get the moment. Peter's just denied him three times. The, the, the word has just barely come out of his mouth. And as that last, I don't know the guy, Jesus turns and looks with the look. You, you ever had the look? You know, that moment you're doing exactly what you shouldn't be doing, and no one has it. They just, they just give you the look. And you know, oh. And Jesus gives the look. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord that had been spoken to him, and before you disowned me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. See, Saturday is a day of regret. 
Saturday is a day of, if I could, I would. And if I could fix it, I'd change it. And Peter spends Saturday going, what do you do from here? Because here's the deal, they killed Jesus last night. And I know, I know, I know that in the very moment that my friend needed me to be a friend, I was anything but. In the very moment that the Son of God needed me to stand with him, I let him down. And, and if I could go back, I'd go back, and if I, could, if I could just talk to Jesus and say how sorry I am, and I wish I hadn't, I would, but he's dead. How do you fix this now? And it just feels final and done. And Saturday is a day of regret. Years ago... Uh, when Lisa and I went uh, to elope and get married, uh, we double eloped. Uh, one of my best friends, Wayne, eloped on the same day, and we got married. Matter of fact, I wore one of Wayne's shirts in front of the Justice of the Peace. And uh, unbelievable friendship. We'd done so many things together. But after I got married, uh, Lisa and I went off to Texas for a little while. Wayne and his wife Karen stayed here. And you know, there was just kind of a little bit of a distance there, and we kind of dropped out of contact, and I began to get reports, and people were saying, hey, you know, Wayne has just kind of gone the wrong direction. I mean, he's living in ways that he, he has no business living. He's making horrible decisions in his life. And I'm just thinking to myself, dude, you know so much better than that. And every report that I would get back was just worse than the one before darker than the one before. And I began to think, you know, as we were getting ready to move back to Arizona, I thought, you know, I don't even know if Wayne and I are going to hang out anymore. I mean, I, don't, I mean, his life is just so off track and so different. And so we did. We came back to Arizona, and, and I didn't even call Wayne. Someone came and contacted me a little bit later and said, hey, Wayne is in uh, hospice. He's dying. I thought, you know, maybe I ought to go see him. And I thought, you know, that could be awkward. I mean, Wow. We're just both in such different places. And I didn't go. And I remember standing at Wayne's funeral full of regret. And thinking to myself, man, in the moment my friend needed me to be a friend, I was nowhere to be found. In the moment, I could have gone to him and said, dude, man, I, I don't know what's happened in the past, but, but dude, you were so instrumental in my life, and you were such a great friend, and I am so thankful for the good times we had together, and I just wanted to tell you that. He never heard those words, and now he was gone, and it felt final, and how do you go back on that one? See, it's the, it's the little gal who her boyfriend says, I love you, I love you, I love you. And the morning after, you can't find him. It's that moment you were in a fight, and you were losing the fight. And, and so you knew, you knew exactly what you had to say to wound. And you did. And you won. And you lost. 
It's the guy that goes, man, if I could go back and never, never, never turn on that computer late at night, and now I've got so many images in my head, I, how would I ever flesh that out? How would I ever clear that out of my mind? It's the addict who says, if I, if I could go back and never stick the first needle in my arm, I would go back. It's that moment in which your friend needed you to be a friend, and instead you were a betrayer. In that moment when all you had to do was tell the truth and instead lies came tumbling. And you'd say, look, if I could, I would. It's just, here's the thing. It just feels so done. Some of us, some of us are stuck on Saturday. And here's the good news. Sunday's coming. And Easter Sunday has the power, you ready, to fix everything that's happened on Friday and Saturday. Sunday has the power to restore and bring forgiveness and new life to our lives. And if anybody knows this, it's a guy by the name of Peter. Because watch what happens in his life. So grab your Bible real quick. Go with me just a little bit to the left to the book of Mark was just another account of what happened that Easter morning. Mark chapter 16. And here's the deal. As I read this, here's what I'm going to watch for. I want you to watch for two words that are about to change Peter's life. See if you see them as we read the passage, because it's just possible those same two words can change our lives too. So here it is. It's Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. So it's Easter morning. And very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. And they entered the tomb, and they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And he says, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you see the two words? You ready? Go tell his disciples and Peter. See, here's why that's huge. And here's why those words are remarkable. Because Peter doesn't know if he's in anymore. See, he doesn't know if what he did on Friday and what he did on Saturday has cost him everything. And he's not even sure he belongs. He doesn't know if he's a disciple. And, and so, those words are huge because those words say to Peter, Peter, there's hope even after Friday and even after Saturday. 
Think about this for a moment. Here, here are the women, and they, they go running back to the house where all the disciples are at, and they come bursting in the room out of breath. They go, guys, you'll never believe we went to the tomb. We were there, and Jesus rose. I mean, just like he said, he rose. And, and, and it was amazing. there was an angel, and he said, go tell the disciples to get up right now and go to Galilee and meet Jesus there, just like Jesus said. And in that moment, 10 guys leap to their feet, run to the door, and start heading out. And one guy is still sitting on the couch. It's Peter. Because he doesn't know if he's in. And suddenly the women turned to him like, Peter, Peter, no, 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 you don't get it, you don't get it. When we were there and the angel said, look, go tell his disciples. And then they see, he said, and Peter. Let Peter know that all is forgiven. That all is restored. That you right, right? That rejection is not final. And the regret doesn't have to be fatal. And Peter, you're forgiven. And here's, you get, they could have just as easily said, go tell his disciples and Jeff. Go, go tell his Go tell his disciples and Alice that, that no matter what happened on Friday and no, no matter what they did on Saturday, because of Easter Sunday, you're forgiven. Go tell Tim. Go tell Becky. Go tell Lynn. Go tell you. And the power of Easter Sunday is the power to change everything. And rejection is no longer final. And regret is no longer fatal because of Easter Sunday. Let's bow our heads. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, we simply come to you. And God, we're just, we're gonna be honest that some of us in this room, we are so stuck on Friday and, and we think we've looked at religion and we've, we think we've considered you and we just said, look, if God's not going to behave the way that we think God ought to behave, then count me out. And we have lived every part of our life until today on Friday. Some of us in this room come here with just lives filled with regret and in the quietest moments of our heart, it replays. And we just say, look, if I could, I would. And if there was something I could say that would fix, I would fix. But it just seems bigger than that. And some of us come to this place in the Saturday of regret. And God, what, what, what we need to know is that Sunday fixes Friday and Saturday. And, and that if we would simply accept the Savior, we could leave Friday and Saturday behind. And here's my prayer, that no one would leave this room without finding the life of Sunday. In your precious name, amen. Okay, so what you're seeing up here is the heart 
of thousands of people who found life on Sunday, who used to live on Friday and Saturday, but now live on Sunday. A couple weeks ago, we were in church and we were doing communion and we just simply turned to the Cornerstone family and said, while you're doing communion, would you just take a moment and write on a banner what Jesus means to you? And the truth is, guys, we are. We're, we're a little crazy about this stuff. And sometimes we talk too much about it. But it's because. It's because we used to be on Friday. And we used to be on Saturday. And now we're living on Sunday. Some of us in this room, and you know, I, I've spent my entire life till now rejecting I am a Friday person. And some of us in this room walked in those doors and you are filled with regret. And you say, if there was anything I could do to get off of Saturday. And the great news is, it's a prayer. <laughs> it's a prayer that moves us to Sunday. And so here's what I want us just simply to do. I want us to take a moment, bow our heads. I'm gonna pray a simple prayer. And if you say, today needs to be Sunday for me, you could pray this prayer along with me. You could know what it's like. So let's just bow our heads. I'll pray if you need to. If you want to, you can follow along and pray with me there in your seat. That prayer would go something like this. Dear Jesus, I have. I've, I've been the one with excuses. I, I simply looked and said, God's not doing what I would do if I were God and I, I've rejected up until now and I've lived my entire life until this day on Friday. God, some, I came into this room and I just have so much of my life that if I could have a do-over, if I could know a way to fix and I can't. And what I need is I need a savior who can. A Savior who washes away my sin and washes away my pain and my regret. And I am so ready to leave Saturday. And so I'm just simply asking right now, would you come into my life? Would you be real to me and save me? Would you move me to Sunday? This I pray in your precious name. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer with us, here's what we're going to ask you to do. On the seat backs right in front of you, there's a card there and it simply says yes on the top. And while we're singing in just a moment, if you would take that card and just fill it out. Just let us know, hey, today was the day I said yes to God. And then when we're done singing in just a moment and we all start to head, if you look real closely, you can see that at every exit, we've got a sign, a table that says yes. And all you do is just drop that card off at that table so that we would know, so that you would know that you said yes to God today. And for the rest of us, I'm just going to ask you to sing this last song from the very depths of your heart saying thank you to a Savior for Easter Sunday.